0: We invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 today. Matthew 28, we're going to continue, continue our series uh, studying the great doctrines of the church. We've been uh, doing this and going through this over the last several weeks. And, and th- today is our third part in Matthew chapter 28, looking at uh, the, the doctrine of, or actually the great commission, the, the mission that Jesus gave for the church and really our theme verse for uh, this passage has been from, or this series has been from Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus is building his church. Amen. We looked at what the church was. We, we studied that the word church is, is the Greek word for gathering, for assembly. It's ecclesia, it's it means people who come together, who have been called out of their homes. And so we are not, a, the church is not a building, amen. amen. The church is a people and we are the people of God called out from the world and we gather in his name. And we're continuing looking at Matthew 28 and, and what the purpose and the mission of the church is, why he has assembled us, why he has called us out, what is it that we're supposed to be doing and We, of course, remember that because the church belongs to Jesus, because He is building His church, Jesus is the one who determines what the mission of the church is. It's not the elders that get together and say, well, I think the mission of our church ought to be this or that. It's not the deacons that have a board meeting and they determine the mission of the church. No, Jesus is the Lord of the church and He is the one who decides what it is. And we see in Matthew chapter 16 that he gives us that commission. Or Matthew 28 verse 16, he gives us that commission. And so again, this is right after Jesus has risen from the dead. He who conquered death, victorious over Satan and hell. Now victorious, he comes and he gives this message to his disciples. And he says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them... And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. It's amazing to see Jesus risen from the dead and still have doubts. That's amazing to me. It's amazing. And the, the main thesis really for the last couple of weeks as we've gone over the Great Commission is that there are some who still doubt What Jesus said here. That there are some who hear what Jesus said and proclaimed, but they still have doubts about whether or not it's actually true and and whether or not Jesus actually meant what he said. This is what Jesus said to those who gathered. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Implicit in this statement that Jesus makes, inherent in the commission, is the expectation of Jesus that, number one, his followers would actually believe what He said. And number two, that we would do it. Amen? That we would believe what He said. What is that? That He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Then, and that we would do what He says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we've seen and we've looked at over the last several weeks that the mission of the church is to bring the nations of the world into submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord today, now. Jesus reigns now. He ascended into the right hand of the Father and he rules and reigns over all time, space, nations, peoples, now. And that was the message I preached the last two weeks, and I need to move on today. I need to move on. And so we, we, we looked at, we have been looking at these four alls, these four alls in this statement. All authority, all nations, all I have commanded, and I am with you all. Always. And as we uh, opened the service today by looking at Acts chapter 2, we, we saw how Jesus on his spirit or on his church, how he poured out his spirit. And and that outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of this fourth point where Jesus said he will be with us always. He is with us. He is with us his people, everywhere we go, we carry the presence of God with us. And and this was designed, this statement, I am with you always, even as he ascends into heaven. He told the disciples, I've commissioned you to, to take the gospel to the nations, but first I want you to wait for power from on high because I'm going to Pour out my Spirit, and when my Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Power. To do what? To disciple the nations. To go into all the world. To teach the nations about Christ. To call the nations to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And what we, what we saw as we studied the book of Acts is that the first church, the early church, the first disciples, they believed what Jesus said. Amen. We studied this for a whole year. They, they actually believed Jesus, and then they actually did what he said. They, they, they stepped out in faith. They, they, they preached the gospel to the whole world. Paul takes the gospel all the way to Rome. And we saw Paul even in chains over the last quarter of of the book of Acts, Paul as a prisoner standing before rulers, standing before kings, standing before people who technically held Paul's life in in their hands. And Paul stood before them. And, And what did Paul tell them? He said, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. You think you have power and authority, but you should submit your life to Jesus Christ. These people, he stood in front of them and they thought they had all the power and the authority. And here stands Paul in chains, a man in chains. But a man who is actually truly free, set free from sin, set free from shame, set free of the condemnation of the enemy for his past now even chained, physically, set free, spiritually, calling those who think that they are free who are truly bound and calling them to submission to Jesus Christ. The first century church got it. The 21st century church needs to get it. We need to get it. And so I'm going to finish this sermon today. We're going to look at points three. And points four today, Jesus says to go and teach, teach them to observe all the nations, teach them that I am teach them all that I have commanded you, all that I have commissioned you, all that I have taught. And again, we we hear this passage and we think, oh, well, this is this is the, the passage for the missionaries. That's their job. And look, maybe. You're called by God to be a missionary. Maybe you are. Maybe you're called to to leave San Antonio and to leave Texas, the greatest country in the world and and Maybe you're called to be a missionary to some of those foreign places like California and New York and Massachusetts and maybe you're called to be a missionary to Portland. You know, I don't know. These these foreign countries Maybe you're called to be a missionary to the, the, the foreign nations, the people that have never heard the gospel. And we see in the book of Acts, there are some people who are called as missionaries. Paul and Barnabas, Acts 13, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas, the Holy Spirit says, to the work that I've called them. And they pray over Paul and Barnabas, and they sent them out, and they go around, and they plant churches. But guess what? The rest of the church stayed behind. The, the rest of the apostles, they stayed in They stayed in Jerusalem. The church that sent Paul and Barnabas out, they stayed in Antioch. Well, what did they do? Did they just kick back and relax? Or did they also, the church that stayed behind, fulfilled the Great Commission? No, the church that stayed behind also fulfills the Great Commission. Why? Because the whole world needs Jesus. San Antonio needs Jesus. Your family needs Jesus. You need Jesus. Right? So it's not, this is not just the missionary passage. This is the passage for the whole church. And over this third point, on this third point of, of commanding all, teaching all that I have commanded, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, there's a lot of confusion on this point. A lot of confusion in the church today. And if you have your Bible, go, go with me to John chapter 14. But I want to ask you this question. Is... This is, a, this is not a trick question. You don't have to answer it out loud. But is God's law for today? Is God's law for today? Let me ask it this way. Are Christians obligated to obey the word of God? No, it's, that's the right answer. That's absolutely the right answer. Yes, Christians are obligated to obey the word of God. Well, how do I know that? Well, didn't Jesus just say, go and teach them to obey all that I have commanded? Is that not what Jesus said to do? Well, what does it mean to disciple the nations? That's what it means, to teach the nations to obey Christ. To the unbelieving world, we call that evangelism. To those who have believed, we call that discipleship. We call one another to faithful obedience to the word of God. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus. This is the Lord Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Skip down to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Look at verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Verse 31. Do you, are you getting the point here? Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me. So that the world may know that I love the Father. Continuing on to, into chapter 15, verse 10, 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And he says, these things I have spoken to you. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Did you know God wants you to be full of joy? God wants you to be full of joy. And Jesus says, he teaches them, if you love me, you keep my commandments. If you love me, you obey the word that I've spoken. Those who don't love me, don't follow me, don't obey me. But those who do love me, keep my commandments. And and I love the Father, and so I obey him. And if you love me, you will obey me. And the reason I told this to you is so that you would be full of joy. Now many people today would hear that they have to obey God and they would be like, oh man, what a bummer. You guys act like you've never heard rain before. (laughs) I know we live in Texas, right? Yeah, It does happen from time to time. Don't worry. If the cars start floating by, I'll tell you, all right? I'll let you know. Until then, we'll just keep going. Is that okay? If you love me, keep my commandments. And I'm telling you this, Jesus says, I'm telling you this so that you would live a life, not a life of burden, not a life of drudgery, not a life of woe is me, but a life filled with joy. Listen, keeping God's commandments sets you up to live a life full of joy. Why is that? Because following God's Word and following God's commandments keeps so much junk out of your life, so much hurt and harm and heartache. You see, uh, when, when you pursue following Christ, And you you have been set free by the power of Jesus from sin and death. And the Lord sanctifies you and you walk with the Lord. Listen, there's a lot less brokenness in your life and there's a whole lot more joy. Being bound to sin is not a life of joy. Many Christians today don't have the joy of the Lord in their life because they've convinced themselves that they must live bound to sin. Oh, I can never be free of this. I can never be free of that. I guess this is just what I have to live in for the rest of my life. Hogwash. (laughs) The power of the Spirit in our lives sets us free from the power of sin. I'm no longer bound to sin. I am bound to Christ. And the more I walk with Christ, the more I follow Christ, the more I I, I live in faithful obedience to Jesus, my Lord, the more joy I have in my life. So does... Does Jesus expect us to obey his word and to obey him and his commandments as his people? Absolutely he does. Yes, he does. So I would encourage you today, if there's an area in your life where you are not walking in obedience to the commandments of scripture, for, joy, for the sake of your own joy, repent of that sin. Turn from it and follow after Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of you are thinking, this, this sounds legalistic, Pastor. It sounds like you're saying we got to do what the Bible says. I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Amen. So, I, so, so that means I don't have to obey what the Bible says. <laughs> right? Uh, have you ever heard anybody say that before? Well, well, you know, you, you, I have. Let me just tell you, I have. As we work to call people, as we not only call the world to obedience to Christ, but one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, to faithful obedience to the Lord, sometimes the flesh starts to act up. And I've, I've heard it. Well, I'm, I'm walking in grace. I'm not under the law. You know, that's the law. You're preaching legalism to me. So that's Romans 6.14 that says you are no longer under the law but under grace. Do you know the whole point of Romans 6 is that the Christians should not live in sin? That's the whole point of Romans 6. The, The point is that now having been set free from the law of sin and death, we are now free to live according to the Spirit of God and not follow after the patterns of our sinful flesh. Now, I am not telling you, this is, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that you must keep the law of God to be saved. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that we use the law of God as a means of justification in our life. The Bible is explicitly clear. Romans 3.20 says, By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I'm not talking to you about being saved. We know that the only way to be saved is not by good works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Ephesians 2.8-10, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So we're not saved by works. We're not saved by our works. We are saved by Christ's work for us on the cross, in our place, dying for our sin. But we are are not saved by keeping the law. I'm not talking to you about salvation here. But notice verse 10 of Ephesians 2. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not saved by good works, but saved for good works. Later on in in chapter 4, Paul will say, Let let your walk, the way you live your life, let it be worthy of the calling that you have received. Called out of the world, called to be a child of God. Let our walk, let the way we live our life follow after the pattern of the one who called us, our Lord Jesus. So teaching all that he commanded. Well, what did Jesus command? Well, I think we know the great commandment. Right? Matthew 22, verse 36, the, the person comes to Jesus and asks him the question, what is the greatest commandment in the law? You know, you know Jesus was a, a Bible teacher. I don't know if you knew that. He, kept, he would say, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. And what, is he, what Bible is he using? He's, he's using the Old Testament. Is the Old Testament for today? It is. I know it's called old, but it's still for today. Absolutely it is. Jesus says, so what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replies. And Jesus quotes two Old Testament passages. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19, 18. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 40. He says, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What is the law and the prophets? That's the Old Testament. He's saying all the Old Testament is explaining to us what it means to love God and to love our neighbor. Because we hear that and we say, love God, love your neighbor, and, and we think, well, I, I can do that. Sure, I can do that. And the, the question remains, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? According to whose standard is this defined? Is it up to every man and woman to define For themselves their own standard of love for God and love for for neighbor? Is that how that works? Well, no, actually, Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if you want to know what it actually means to love God, you have to go read the law and the prophets. If you want to know what it actually means to love your neighbor as yourself, it's not according to your own arbitrary standard or my own arbitrary standard. It's according to God's, the law, and the prophets. You see, if it was left up to each one of us to figure it out on our own, we'd be in big time trouble. Because the Bible says the heart of man is deceitful and deceptive. So I can, I can pray and seek God and I could say, you know what? I just I feel like God is letting me do this. But if God's word strictly forbids it, guess what? The heart is deceitful above all things. And so we don't rely upon our own heart, our own understanding, our own reason. No, we we rely on the Word of God to teach us, to show us. So yes, absolutely, the law of God is for today. The law of God is for today. Now, there are certain parts of the law that Christ fulfilled. There are three parts of the law, the Old Testament law I'm talking about now. There are three parts, three categories. There's the ceremonial law that had to do with sacrifice and purification for sin. Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus offered up himself once for all as the sacrifice for sin. So there's no longer a sacrifice to be made. There's no longer sacrifices for sin. Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. On the cross, He declared, it is finished. The price for sin has been paid. And that is glorious good news for us. So there's that ceremonial law fulfilled in Christ. There's the civil law. This had to do with the nation of Israel living in the land of Israel under the authority of the judges and the kings. These were laws that were for the nation of Israel at that time. And when that time of the nation of Israel was fulfilled, those laws also fulfilled. So for example, if one of my livestock kills one of your livestock... We don't follow the pattern, the civil law for what God prescribed should happen in ancient Israel. That was fulfilled in that time. That was for a specific people in a specific time in a specific place. However, there is God's moral law. And that is the third component to the law in the Old Testament. These are issues that have to do with God's character, God's nature, which never changes. And absolutely, we as God's people follow the moral law. We see the the, the great example of the moral law in the Ten Commandments. Just because Jesus died and, and we're walking in grace doesn't give me the freedom to kill people, right? We uphold the the commandments, the moral law of God. There's a lot of confusion over this, a lot of confusion. Because sometimes there's a a moral law and attached to it is a, a civil penalty. So, for example, the moral law of God, you shall not commit adultery, Right? We all agree, adultery bad, right? Adultery is a sin. Christians shouldn't be committing adultery. Amen. And also in in the law of God is the, the civil penalty for the nation of Israel living in the land of Israel in the time that that law was given, which is that someone who commits adultery, it's a capital offense and they should be stoned. Well, that part of the law, the civil part of the law, was fulfilled. That, that nation of Israel, were not part of that nation and state anymore. And so the ceremonial, the, the, the righteous requirements of the law, the purification fulfilled in Christ, the civil law fulfilled in Israel, but the moral law of God transcends all time and space. You see, before the law was ever given, The the first um, brothers, Cain and Abel, Cain murders his brother. It's not that God let him off the hook and said, well, I haven't given the Ten Commandments yet, so you can just do whatever you want. No, no, there there is a law of God written on the hearts of humanity, and it is the moral law. And we must, as Christians, keep the law of God. Again, this is not to purchase our salvation in any way at all. But this is to follow Christ. Romans chapter 8, Paul unpacks this for us. Flip over there with me, Romans 8. Explains how this works. Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. That's glorious news. You see, Jesus bore the price and the penalty for sin and all my sin on the cross. He became condemnation for me. He bore my reproach so that now if I am in Christ, there is no condemnation for me. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. It's not that the law is bad, it's that sinful flesh is bad. And he did this by sending his own son in the likeness, notice likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh... In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in those of us who don't live in the flesh, but we walk in the Spirit of God, we follow the Spirit. The leading of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will lead us to follow the commands of Christ. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God... For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And so if he says that those in the flesh are hostile towards God, those are unbelievers he's talking about. Those in the flesh, unbelievers, do not submit to God's law. Indeed, they cannot, but we are not in the flesh. We are in the Spirit, and through the Spirit of God, we submit to God's law. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Again, this, this battle that rages before, between the desires of our flesh and the spirit of God inside of us. But if the spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, verse 12, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, this is the key, are sons of God. Jesus has saved us by his grace. Nothing we do deserves salvation, nothing. My favorite Jonathan Edwards quote, the only thing you contributed to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. That's it. Everything else is from Jesus. Dead in trespasses and sins, made alive in Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith, not your own doing, the gift of God. Paul says, you haven't received the spirit of slavery to live in fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. You see, if I'm trying to justify, earn my righteousness with God by keeping the law, that is a spirit of fear that comes upon me, a spirit of dread. Why? Because how much law keeping do I have to do to make God happy with me? I I can never keep enough. I can never do enough. To, to, to fulfill the law of God, I can 't do it it 's a spirit of slavery, but Paul says that we have been adopted now into god 's family, and so now, as sons, now as daughters, it 's not about keeping the law to be adopted. Maybe I can keep the law enough that God'll be happy with me and he 'll adopt me into my family, into his family. No, God loves you, he 's adopted you into his family, you 're a part of his family now. It's not a spirit of slavery. It's not a spirit of trying to earn God's love and earn God's favor. But it is a matter of, I'm part of the family of God now. I'm not part of this family of Satan anymore. I'm not part of the systems of this world. I'm not part of the kingdom of darkness anymore. And so now, how ought a child of God to live today? What what should my life look like as a son of God, as a daughter of God? Well, it should look like someone who follows in the footsteps of his father. Who, who keeps the house rules, so to speak. Not, not to earn God's favor. Not, not so that he would justify me. No, because I am saved. Because I have been set free. And so the burden is removed. The burden of the law is removed. Cast upon Jesus. He fulfilled it perfectly. Now we walk in obedience with joy. Because we're not doing it to earn our salvation. Because our salvation has been purchased for us. Does that make sense? So yes, the law of God is for today. All of it. Flip with me to 1 John. We'll look at 1 John in closing. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 3, 1 John 1, verse 3. He says, That which we have seen and heard from Jesus, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. Again, we don't walk, we don't keep the commands of God for justification. But as we walk in them, we walk in right fellowship with others and with god he says this in verse 5 this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that god is light and in him there is no darkness at all if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus his son cleanses us from all sin But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but for also, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. What is all of this saying? John is saying that following the law of God, following the commandments of Christ, loving God, loving neighbor, looking to the word of God to teach us what that means so that we can walk in faithful obedience to Jesus, what all of this means, it's not a salvation issue but it is a fellowship with God issue. It's a fellowship issue. And not only a fellowship with God, but a fellowship with one another. And so he says, if you say you have no sin, you make God a liar. He says, I'm writing to you so that you would not live in sin. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this issue of confession, confession of sin to God, repentance of sin, it is part of the Christian life. It's not just something we do the day we were saved. It's something we do every day to walk in fellowship with God. And it's not that if we are saved, we will never sin again. It's not that we will be sinless, but that as we walk with God... And confess our sin and repent of our sin over time, that work of sanctification in our life. We will not be sinless, but we will sin less as we walk out our faith. Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus is the one who bore the price of sin. But that doesn't mean that we just get saved and then just live like the devil, live like the world. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. The law of God, the commands of God, yes, for today. Not as a means of salvation, but as a means of sanctification, walking this out with God. The expectation of Jesus is that we obey his commandments. Not for righteousness' sake, but for fellowship's sake. Again, he said, teaching them to obey all I have commanded. This is not some of God's commandments. This is not most of God's commandments. This is all of God's commandments. In 1 John chapter 5, he writes: he says, God's commandments aren't burdensome. This isn't some burden. Why? Because I'm not keeping this to save myself, to be saved. But I'm following following Christ because God has given me his spirit. And because he has set me free of sin through repentance and confession and faith and listening to the voice of the spirit and studying the word of God, my joy can be made full. So how do we do this? How do we disciple the nations? Well, it's not in our own strength and in our own spirit. It's this power of the Holy Spirit. It's only in the power of the Spirit. And that's why Jesus said, the fourth, the fourth always, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Maybe you're called to go to the nations. And if you are, go. And if you're called to stay here we still disciple the nations. San Antonio needs some discipleship, amen? Your home, your home needs some discipleship. We call one another in the church to faithful obedience to Christ. We help each other walk it out. It's this beautiful thing that the Lord does through us by his Spirit. Will we fall? Will we fail? Absolutely. But we have an advocate with the Father when we do. Jesus Christ. We don't, just, we don't just give up and let sin have its way with us. No, we work hard. We fight hard. We fight with the power of the Spirit. But we also walk in freedom because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's not an either-or scenario. It is both-and. Jesus took a small group of people and he told them to go and win the entire world and they turned the world upside down in their generation because they believed what he said and they did it. Likewise, I believe our world can be turned upside down again if the church will believe Jesus and obey him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Lord, take what I've shared and make it fruitful, Lord Jesus. Help us to walk in faithful obedience to you. Lord, not as a means of boasting in our own righteousness, God forbid, not as a means of pride, but Lord, that we might show forth Your glory, Lord, it does not bring you any glory when we live a life in bondage to sin. Help us to walk in freedom and victory and for our joy to be made full. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.